If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Back by popular demand. Um, mm. Our first interview with Dr. Jolene Brighton uh, was so popular. So many people were sharing it. A lot of people telling us they had a lot of, uh, they got a lot of great information and value from it that we decided to have Dr. Brighton on again. Um, and we go all over the place in this episode, uh, in this interview. We talk about um, premenstrual syndrome. We talk about the cycle and what that looks like and what is normal and what is not normal. There are symptoms that are common, but they aren't necessarily good. So just because they're common, that doesn't mean that they're good. We talk about nutrients that can benefit women and health. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Now, you can find Dr. Jolene Brighton on Instagram, at Dr. Jolene Brighton. And Brighton is spelled B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. On YouTube, she's Dr. Jolene Brighton. Uh, her website is drbrighton.com. So that's drbrighton.com. And then the book that people have just been raving about uh, that she wrote is called Beyond the Pill. And this talks about the potential side effects of birth control, uh, what it's like going off birth control, and how to kind of mitigate some of the symptoms that happen when you go from hormonal birth control to all natural. Uh, now, before the episode starts, I want to remind everybody that MAPS Starter is 50% off. Now, MAPS Starter is our resistance training program designed for people who want to start with resistance training, people who want to just get started and reap all the benefits that you can get from working with resistance. Uh, everything from building muscle, burning body fat, sculpting the body, getting stronger, and speeding up your metabolism. So if you're a beginner or somebody who's taken a long break and you want to get back into resistance training, this is the perfect program for you. Now, for those of you who are advanced, it's a wonderful gift for your friends and family members who want to get started with working out and doing it properly. That's what this program is all about, proper resistance training. Here's the best part. You don't need a gym. All you need is a physio ball and dumbbells, and you can do the whole program. So here's how you sign up. Go to mapsstarter.com. That's M-A-P-S-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com, and use the code STARTER50. That's S-T-A-R-T-E-R-5-0, no space, for the discount. I was telling my friends, like, I, after I did this interview, and I was like, I always do this weird thing. As soon as there's a nice mic set up, I start talking like this. And they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> you sound just like Gamora from, and I'll, I'm like, I'll take it. Gamora <laughs> from Guardians of the Galaxy? She's a badass. Oh, she is yeah. A badass. She's right. a badass. Mm -hmm. That's right. Talk. You can break me down, toss no, me you... from a ship. I will just come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we when yeah. we used to get on camera in the early days, Adam and I did this weird, like, he had this weird, like, he talked out of the side of his mouth. Mm -hmm. and just, <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was more like on camera. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, had a, I have friends that are like, oh, I did voice training for my podcast. And they're like, You're, if you launch a podcast, you should consider it. I'm like, you get what you get. Like, I'm not yeah. like, <laughs> I am not going to go spend the time to train my voice. And right. Like, yeah. But you could ruin your voice. Go I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's like, if 10 years of screaming at people as a group fitness instructor didn't ruin it. <laughs> then you're all good. I'm like, I've been talking for a very long time. I still <laughs> haven't got comfortable. With, and I, I don't know if it's our generation or what, but I'm just the the talking to the camera as if I'm talking to a, a massive audience. I just I have I have no problem. I, I, I don't get stage fright or anything in yeah. front of massive groups, but I get weird. 
looking at me. It reminds me of that Smurf that held the mirror like this, and he was always looking at himself all the time. Yeah, Vanity Smurf. Is that what? Oh my god, I can't remember the name of that. I get like super embarrassed when I'm in public, where I'll be like talking to my phone, and someone walks by, and I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, that's why it feels weird. And then I'll leave it on Instagram, where it's like, "Mm," and I and then I come back, and I'm like, I just got really embarrassed, you guys. Like whatever, (laughs) just put it out there. Um, the girl at Starbucks today, or not Starbucks, we were talking about that earlier, at uh, Stumptown, I like walk up and I order my coffee and she's like, and she's like, what is your name? And she's like, oh my God, you're that doctor on Instagram from the book, huh? And I was like, yep. And this is why I never lie about my coffee habit. Like, because here I am. <laughs> you're going to get found out. In Stumptown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how much, co- how many coffees do you have a day normally? You're uh, a fast metabolizer, you said. Yeah, yeah. So, like, anywhere from two to four, just oh, depending. That's not too bad. Yeah. No, that's not, not too bad. See, it's yeah. normal. Yeah, that's yeah, not Justin's bad. Justin's like, guys give me shit all the time. When I had a head injury, I actually started the day with four cups of black coffee uh, after fasting, and it's a great way to raise ketones and, like, heal the brain. Really? Yeah. Really? So, the, does the caffeine amplify ketone production? Or? Apparently, yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, Plus, like, coffee's full of antioxidants if you get the good stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like... When I was in Paris and they were like, hey, do you want an espresso? It's 10 o'clock. And everybody eats dinner at like nine o'clock. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is? I got it. I'm like five or six. What's going on here? Um, but then they like offer coffee and I drink it and go right to bed. And my husband's like, I'm just staying up looking at your coffee. Yeah. Like, he's a very slow metabolizer. <laughs> yeah, so am I. Head injury. What happened? Um, I got knocked the- out (laughs) like literally like literally really i took my son to a safe sledding park um which was uh i always like you guys have watched friday right yeah Yeah, okay so you know that quote yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's how i feel like i'm just like smoky where are you (laughs) um so i took my son to a safe sledding park and you know how it goes it's always that last run of the day and i was like let's go on the steep hill now it's a safe sledding park because they let teenagers moderate who goes down. Teenagers. Like, that's the key word here. Yeah. So I went down on this inner tube and I stand up. End of the day, sun had been on the hill. Now it's 4 p.m. No sun. Oh, now it's just get, straight ice. icy. And I just hear my husband screaming. I look over and next thing I wake up like 10 minutes Was later. Was it a kid barreling down? Somebody oh, wow. barreled down in an inner tube. I'm vertically challenged. So that means it comes up to the back of my knees and... I flew up and over and I landed on my right occiput first. And then my husband's just like, I saw your head go kunk. And then your body just like rolled down. And then I woke up 10 minutes later and couldn't see. And and yeah, well, I was like, I hit my occiput. That's where my visual center is. Somebody stabilized speed C spine. (laughs) She's like coaching people. That's me in an emergency. That's me giving birth. I'm like, okay, this is how we do this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was something where, the really crazy thing is I didn't lose any of the medicine, but by the time I got to the hospital, which you have to leave the ski resort and go all the way down the hill, um, I couldn't tell you like my maiden name. I couldn't tell you my date of birth. Like I couldn't, wow. I was like, I have no idea. And then they were like, we're going to x-ray your chest. And I'm like, no, you haven't even tested my clavicle. I did not fall with outstretched arms. There is not a clavicle. There's no fracture in my clavicle. I need an x-ray of my spine. I need a CT. And, and they're like, but what's your full name? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. I think I'm a doctor. Um, yeah. Like, it's, it was so, so bizarre when I'm like, thank, I feel like my brain got hit and was like, compartmentalize everything we need to survive. Medicine, like, have it put there. Do you ever get into it with other doctors and physicians because of your extensive knowledge and you're somewhere and they're diagnosing you or talking to you and you're like, no. No, not at, Like, when I go to the doctor, I'm very clear. A lot of the times I go to the doctor and they're like, you're a doctor, so I'm just going to assume you know everything. And I'm like, I want you to treat 
treat me like a patient. I want you to take me through that whole thing because if you and I are making assumptions about knowledge, like there could be a gap there. And like, if I'm going to a doctor, you know, um, I mean, if I'm going to my gynecologist, you know who does my paps is a student who was under me in school that she was my secondary for two years. <laughs> That's so going to be a little weird. I know. I trained her. Like she, <laughs> so awesome. I know how good she is. No, no, no. And a little to the left. Little, okay, yeah. there you go. That's yeah, good. but I mean, I was there. I, you know, when I was doing gyne exams, I was teaching her, having her go through everything. And so, yeah, now that's when I was in, like moved back to Portland. I was like, who is going to do my that's the final like, exam right there? That's yeah. going to be that's going to be the person. But like, I can't visualize my cervix, so I have to have that level of trust. But no, I haven't. Um, I haven't had any doctors where I get into it with. I mean. Uh, I know how to talk to doctors. <laughs> There's that and being respectful. But like after my head injury, my, I had a great neurologist. Very, He's very conventional. The only thing he had to offer me was like SSRIs. And when I was like, well, how do I get off of them? Because uh, there is research to show that SSRIs can help with healing brain injuries. And I was like, well, what's the plan to get off of them? And he's like, you'd have to talk to your PCP. And I was like, I don't get on any drugs that there's not a plan to get off of these drugs. <laughs> like, um, That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely caveats to these things, but I was like, you know, there's other things we can do. I lost because of severe vertigo. I lost the ability to actually walk unassisted. Um, so I couldn't walk. I couldn't actually form a sentence. So I couldn't speak and put the words in the right order. Mm. Um, I was having like difficulty writing and I mostly, I mean, I have a whole, I actually did a whole bulletproof podcast, like talking about this and I have a whole protocol I went through and it's actually what got me interested in the how our natural hormones heal our brain and how they they interplay with that. And I actually had a friend of mine um, prescribe me progesterone. I went under her care. She's a doctor and <laughs> not just random person. And um, we came I came up with this dosage and everything I wanted to use to heal my brain. And then like it was months later that I was like, hey, how'd you ever come up with that dosage? And she's like, you don't remember? I'm like, no, I don't remember. She's like, you sent me this email with like four rat studies and then you did this complex calculation on your body weight and was like, I want to try this and all this stuff. And she's like, you went through all the research and you sent me anything, everything. I was like, wow, I was so smart when I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, I actually used progesterone therapy. And then we also observed that day 21, of my cycle, my brain would wake up and I would make like advances even more. And so my neurologist was super cool because he was like, tell me what you're doing. I went on a ketogenic diet and it was really funny because I was sitting in his office and they had this big poster of a study they had done on ketogenic diets and Parkinson's disease mm -hmm. showing great outcomes. And he's like, ketogenic diet, really? You think that helps with a head injury? And I'm like, we were having this conversation. I'm like, well, it helps Parkinson's and it helps like Alzheimer's and we're like dying. And he's like, this is so cool. And so he was really respectful. I mean, at the end of the day, doctors want to help people. And so, mm -hmm. totally. yeah. And you made a full recovery. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Now you were such a hit on our, on our last episode. We got so many, many good messages. And we also had a lot of people asking more questions. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on the show and talk about today was if we could get into detail on the female cycle from beginning to end, what's happening in the body, what hormones are going up, which ones are going down, things that are common that you'll feel but don't necessarily mean that aren't necessarily good, mm -hmm. um, like what to expect, all these things. Because I, I got so many questions from women who are like, please, this is what I'm interested in. I need to know if I'm normal or if I'm supposed to feel this way. So if we could start maybe from the beginning and then kind of walk through and then we'll ask you questions as we... So were we recording this whole time? Yes, yeah. we are. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. You didn't know that? You know how we roll? 
Oh, that's so, that's all the gold right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like la 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 yeah. la la. Uh, people can't see the other people in the room who are not on camera laughing at me right now. <laughs> Surprise! Gotcha. Yeah. So, so this just gets super red now. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So to know what is you know normal and not normal, we should start with like how does a menstrual cycle work? Yes. So day one is the first day you see blood. And while we all focus on the period, it's actually not the main event. The entire menstrual cycle is about ovulation and hopefully procreation. So that's really the goal of the menstrual cycle. But it's harder to know when you ovulate and let, until you get used to your body and those signs. So we start with day one, first day of your period. Because so, it's an obvious sign. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And what's the name of this part of the cycle? Yes. Yeah, so this is the follicular phase. Okay. So Day one, first day we see blood, kicks off the follicular phase. In medicine, we have three phases of the menstrual cycle, um, and that's the follicular, ovulatory, and then the luteal phase. You will hear people talk about the menstrual cycle being its own phase as a fourth phase. That's a fourth phase if you look only at the uterus. So that's what the uterus is doing. It's shedding the endometrial lining. But even during your menstrual cycle, or excuse me, your menstruation period, you are getting the ovaries ready for another egg. Okay. So to say it's a, a fourth phase, true in terms of what the uterus is doing, not so much of what the ovaries are doing, but we're not going to overcomplicate things. So everybody who's listening, get ready to take notes. Okay, so day one, we have our period. And even as we're bleeding, we're shedding the endometrial lining of our uterus. This is because the hormones dropped because the egg was not fertilized and we're not pregnant. Which hormones dropped on, in this process? Yeah, estrogen and progesterone. Both, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like how I'm like, I'm like getting there and then you're like, no, we got to go oh, there. Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. no, I think it's super helpful because I have my way of telling this story. Then I talk to women and they're like, yeah, I get it. But here I am talking to men. So no, yeah, I think yeah. it's yeah, a good thing. And more. we get nothing. Yeah. You got so all, all the details. You are sitting with three gorillas. <laughs> 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 so when you have your period, so hormones drop, um, and then even as you're bleeding, FSH begins to rise. So follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary tells the ovaries, let's get follicles ready. Follicles are basically an erase of which egg is going to win to be ovulated. So even while you're still menstruating, FSH is signaling the ovaries. The ovaries are now raising your estrogen. Estrogen is the main diva, as I like to call her, in the follicular phase. And I say that because it's like, if you have Beyonce on stage, it's really hard to have anyone else one-up that. Like, that's a difficult thing. And so we're, when we get into the luteal phase, you're going to be like, why we don't always want Beyonce on stage? So um, estrogen's not a bad thing, but too much of a good thing is just too much. So we're in the follicular phase, follicle-stimulating hormone, ovaries are secreting estrogen, estrogen's the main hormone. Around day 10-ish, and I say ish because menstrual cycles are not 28 days. It's not, we, it's an easy way for us to start and to think about things. But for women listening, you might be 24 days in regular, totally normal. You might be 34 days in regular, totally normal. You might ovulate on day 10 or day 18 or anywhere in between, totally normal. So these things are normal, but we often always talk about the menstrual cycle of 28 days. You ovulate day 14. I just saw someone saying like, every woman ovulates day 14. And I'm like, <laughs> then we wouldn't get pregnant. Just whoops. Like if, if that was the case, we'd all just be like, day, it's day 14. Now, now, Dr. Brighton, you're saying that the cycles can be different. Is it important that they're consistent though? So if someone's 34, yeah. it's always 34? Well, not necessarily always 34. If it's like 32, 34, like 34, so 33. Close. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can have a day or two 
of like, you know, buffer in there. It doesn't have to be exact. I mean, that's the other thing is that we're told like it should always be exactly clockwork. Um, Early, so two times that it'll almost never be uh, clockwork is when you first get your period um, because your brain and ovaries are just figuring out how to communicate. So it's not uncommon to have a regular period. Some women, totally regular from day one. If there are, you know, you go a period of time and they continue to be irregular, that's when we work up polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm. Now, perimenopause is the other time that we'll see irregular periods. And that's, it's abnormal in terms of like, that's an abnormal menstrual cycle, but it's normal in terms of the phase of your life. Because the ovaries are like, we're done. We're out. We got other things to do in our life. We're not going to make babies. So back to the follicular phase. So day one, we're bleeding. Estrogen, follicle stimulating hormone rising. Day 10-ish, somewhere in that range. For you as a woman, it's when your libido starts to rise. Testosterone is rising. So testosterone rises. This is when we have more energy. We will feel like we can exert more boundaries. We can lift more weights. We can sprint harder, go harder, like because we've got that testosterone fueling us. But we're also in the mood. And Biology is really smart because why we get in the mood to have sex about five, six days before we ovulate is that sperm can live five days mm. or more. Um, so five days is like the, the average, but I'm always like, mm, just just be careful with that because sperm be tricky. <laughs> they have one goal in life. <laughs> it's like, sit in a room <laughs> with a bunch of men. Um, so what then happens, so we've got the testosterone rising, then what's going to happen is your estrogen is going to rise and spike. Pituitary is going to send out luteinizing hormone, that's LH, that will spike. And then we release an egg. Mm. We go into the ovulatory cycle. And that's a, about a 24-hour event. It is very rare that the egg lives longer in terms of our current understanding and very rare that you would ovulate twice in a cycle. Although I have heard women who claim that this has happened to them and I wouldn't dismiss that because we have our like nice little box we put everything in and then there's nature which yeah. just takes over. So we ovulate, ovulatory phase. We want to ovulate no matter what, like even if you want a baby or not, because what's left behind in the ovary is the corpus luteum. Now that's the structure that's left behind and it's now going to secrete progesterone. Now, progesterone is the main player as we roll into the luteal phase. Mm, if now, we don't ovulate, that doesn't happen? We, if we don't ovulate, there's no corpus luteum. So you will have lower progesterone oh, levels. Okay. So you'll have higher PMS, crampier periods, a lot of the stuff that's like the dreaded of, of being a woman, so to speak. So progesterone should be the main player. There's still estrogen around. But again, this is when we get into that luteal phase, like, if we've got estrogen, which we were calling Beyonce, we we can't just bring in somebody who's never taken the stage before. Like we need like Aretha Franklin or somebody like that's come before Beyonce bigger. That's progesterone so that we keep that estrogen in check and so that there's a balance going on. So when we go through the luteal phase and that's typically for most women is going to be a, a good, <clears throat> excuse me, 14 days. If you don't get to a day 24, and let's say you're only making it to day 21 or less out of your cycle, that's usually a luteal phase defect is what we call it. So maybe you didn't ovulate or maybe your corpus luteum can't kick out that progesterone. Mm. And so that's too short of a period. And that's something you might experience at 20 something. And that's telling us you're probably going to struggle getting pregnant in the future. So let's course correct that now. But if there's a baby and it implants, we're going to keep those hormones going up. 
But if there's not, they drop and the menstrual cycle starts all over again. Mm. So does that make sense? Yes, yes. So so let's talk about uh, what, what is normal to feel during these processes. You said, um, okay, let's talk about before the period. We talk mm-hmm. about PMS. What is normal and what, when should women kind of be like, okay, because oh, I saw you did a post on Instagram. I thought it was great. And it was, yeah. it was like s- symptoms that are common, but not necessarily mm-hmm. normal or good. So maybe start there. Like what do you, what should you feel during that pre-menstrual period and then during the whole cycle, I guess? Yeah, I have to actually shout out. It was Dr. Carrie Jones, um, who somebody sent her a message and said, um, you know, I don't even know what's normal. Like nobody talks about what's normal. Everybody's talking about what's abnormal. And I'm like, that's a really good point. Like I cover what's normal in my book. But in Instagram, I've been like more of like, let's talk about all the problems we Mm -hmm. have. And like, yeah, so she sent that to me and she's like, she does her post in a certain way. She's like, I'm not breaking my series to talk about what's normal. Can you cover that? So I just want to shout her out because that's where that was born out of. Mm. Um, and and out of people asking for it. So you guys, you ask, we deliver. <laughs> so with that, um, you know, talking about what is normal. So everything I went through, that's that's a normal menstrual cycle. Now, before your period, it is normal to want to slow down to be a little bit tired, to even feel like you're not as sharp on your mental gain. Like you grew over that, the cycle before you bleed again, you grew your endometrial lining and now you're going to shed all of that. Like that is not an insignificant thing. We kind of take these things for granted, kind of like how society takes giving birth (laughs) for granted. And they're like, you just had a baby. It's been six weeks. Get up and go back to work. And you're like, like a lot just went down here. Mm -hmm. Like, so we kind of take for granted the things that happen all the time. But we also get told that like, you know, this whole society is built by non-cyclical creatures like men, like mm-hmm. the way the, the work week. I mean, everything is really just like it's it, I mean, even even in health now, like the, the biohacking trend is very like masculine of like, you know, these things. And I, I love it. And I think there's a place for it. But for women, we have to understand we are cyclical creatures and it's not abnormal to feel like you have to pull back before your period. It doesn't mean you're the lesser. In fact, this is a great time to really pull back, go inward and reflect, am I really where I want to be in life? And like, what, what, you know, really, you know, how happy am I and how are relationships serving me? I mean, it's a great opportunity there. And so I think often we think like, okay, and I, I do have this from patients who come in and they say, you know, a couple of days before my period, I'm just so tired. And I'm like, okay, you're like flat flying fatigued, uh, zero to 10, zero being no energy at all. And they're like, oh, I'm like a six or seven. I'm like, that's, that's not abnormal. Like for, if you feel like you can't get out of bed and you're crawling across the floor Mm. or like (laughs) someone must bring you coffee for you to even be able to get out of bed, like then we've got a bit, a bit of a problem there. We've got to investigate what's going on, but feeling a little tired, not abnormal. Um, feeling a little more emotional, not abnormal. Um, you know, there's, uh, when you look at it from like a historical perspective, there's a lot of experts who think the reason why there was, um, the red tent and women are taken away from the tribe to menstruate was never because we were unclean. It was really more about the fact that, um, you know, what some tribe said is that the veil becomes very thin and we start communicating with like whatever the powers that be, Mm. but also that you're, you're more sensitive. It's funny that you're, you're, it's so cool that you're saying this. I read a long time ago. um, I don't remember why why I looked this up, but I was looking up like what are the evolutionarily, explanations for feeling that way before you Mm -hmm. get your period. Um, And some scientists said it could be 
like you said, a period of reflection and realizing that the mate that you're with failed to impregnate you. <laughs> so like, Ooh. it's almost like as a, as a way. That's of, why men are like, no, don't slow down. great. Yeah. It's like, so it's a way to like reflect and be, and then be like, well, I don't want to be with this person. And then maybe because they're failing to impregnate. And so mm-hmm. it's like this huh. evolutionary push to get you with someone who can. Yeah, well, I mean, and evolutionarily speaking, we weren't monogamous, and I know that's going to upset some people, but like, because we were playing a game of like, can I get pregnant? That's right. And also, um, there's a great book called Sex at Dawn that talks about this. Familiar, good book. Yeah, a great book, and just talks about how it was also um, about if we were basically had no idea who the dad was, then everybody was taking responsibility for the child, and so it was a way to ensure the the health of the child and it wasn't until we started owning land and then heirs mattered and mm-hmm. all of that that women then became basically a commodity mm-hmm. commodity to be traded and that children were now owned and it, it just you know really evolved into something else so do you think that the uh, in in terms of you know before you get your period and how you're feeling do you think because we have such a poor general understanding of it or maybe appreciation for it that that may be the cause why so many women get medicated for feeling normal, you know, PMS, like I, I've read, I read some, some articles where women are getting prescribed anti-anxiety medications, uh, SSRIs mm-hmm. and for what would, what should be, or what is kind of normal changes in how you feel. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in how, how like sleep and nutrition and stress could affect each one of these cycles too. Oh, yeah. Like how much could that throw off how someone's perceiving what's going on? So if you think about it, <clears throat> what, so, and you know, I may have I may have said this on the last podcast, but one of the best ways to optimize your hormones and ensure fertility is to send the signal that the environment's safe. Because if the environment's unsafe, we don't eat enough food. Like your body doesn't know if you're calorie restricting because you want to fit in a wedding dress or if you're on a desert island and you might die. Like your body is smart, but it's not that smart. Um, and in addition to that, like if you're not sleeping, if you're stressed out, like your body doesn't know if that's a lion, tiger, or if that's just because like you are choosing a, a different, you're in grad school, you're, uh, you know, in residency right. for as Tough a doctor. job. Yeah. Totally. And so with that, I mean, you can shut down ovulation with like, you know, uh, different stressors altogether. The other thing is that you might not get your progesterone levels up. Um, your body will always choose survival over procreation. So what used to be called the pregnenolone still, now we understand that like your cells are not stealing from each other. That's mm. not what's going on. Um, I just want to own that. Like I did use that language in the past. Um, so if you find that somewhere where I said that, know that we got new science. I learned we moved on from that. And so what really happens is that the brain will preferentially signal like adrenal glands. Let's get our cortisol up and let's not signal so much to that progesterone. Like we're not worried about having mm. a baby. We're worried about surviving here. Now for the average woman, what does that feel like to her though? Cause sometimes this is one of the things I have to talk to clients all the time. Sometimes they don't, what they think is what they don't think is stress. I know is stress in their mm-hmm. life. Like you, you alluded to, you know, the the busy or stressful job. It could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. So are there are there signals uh, during their cycle? Like they'll have a uh, you know harder cramps, or they'll have delay or dehydration. Are there things that they they should notice in their cycle if maybe their stress levels are really high? Yeah, and let's talk. About, I I get patients as well. So we're sitting here in the Bay Area of California, and I had a practice here, and patients would say, "No, my life is great." My job's great. I don't have any stress. I'm like, you drive in traffic and that's a stress. Like you guys, we are 
hurling ourselves down the highway. Like, well, we're in California. Let's be real. 70 to 80 miles per hour. I was going to say 55 because I'm in Oregon. I'm like, nobody drives like that in California. What am I talking about? Yeah, only if you're in bumper to bumper traffic. Or you yeah, drive that slow. right. Uh, but like in a big like hunk of metal, like this is a stressful thing. Um, even But we take it for granted. Light pollution, that's a stressor to the mm-hmm. body. Like there's these subtle things that like we've just evolved with, uh, you know, so to speak, or we've just been around that we're like, hey, it's not a stressor. So with that, you know, the most pronounced place in the cycle where stress is going to hit your hormones, you're going to feel it, is going to be in the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. And so in that luteal phase, that's where we see pronounced PMS. So if our progesterone doesn't get up, it doesn't stimulate GABA receptors in our brain. GABA is like put the brakes on the freak out hormones, which is like epinephrine, norepinephrine mm. and other neurotransmitters. But if you're stressed out, you can be kicking out cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine from the adrenal glands. And then you've don't got progesterone. You do not have progesterone stimulating the GABA receptor. And so now we're feeling anxious. We can't sleep at night. Um, we have a sense of dread. I'm write this in my book because this is legit a thing I ask my patients. Do you, you know, the the week or two before your period, do you A, want to kill somebody, B, run away to the woods and never be seen again, or C, do all of the above? They mostly answer all of the above. And nobody, like, this is like, I'm, I'm being funny about, no one's going to like actually, like, no one's going to kill anybody, guys. But you're just like, boy, is this person still talking to me? You never needed to open your mouth once in my world. Like, you're just like so irritated. And so, not enough progesterone or too much estrogen or unchallenged estrogen. Again, estrogen's not bad. It just has to be kept in check. And so we'll find ourselves really irritable. So if it, let's talk about the differences in progesterone. So Mm -hmm. if it's low progesterone, you're going to be anxious. You're not going to sleep. You're going to cry for no reason. Um, But high progesterone can be similar, but here's, here's the, you, in that you will cry for no reason. If your progesterone's too high, your breasts will be sore, high or low progesterone. But if your progesterone's high, you'll sleep better. You'll wake up groggy in the morning. You might feel a little bluesy instead of anxious. Um, And when your period comes, it'll be relatively easy. It won't be terrible. Now, it can be low progesterone and concomitant high estrogen. And that high estrogen will make you really irritable. You might feel puffy. So your fingers, toes feel puffy. Maybe you're like a little bloated. Um, You may also be having hot flashes. You don't have to be perimenopause, menopausal to have hot flashes. Um, It's actually not totally abnormal to have some like mild night sweats, hot flashes, like the day before your period is your, like your estrogen could have been high and then dropping. Mm. And so that's not like, oh my God, I'm going into menopause necessarily, unless it's happening at a higher frequency. But with that, if estrogen is too high, the other thing that will happen is when your period hits, it's clotty, it's heavy, there's lots of cramps. And bonus, if you have diarrhea and heavy cramps, uh, like very painful cramps, it's likely elevated prostaglandins, which are hormone-like substances. Those are inflammatory, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, they can be, and they're not a bad thing. We always think like inflammation's bad, antioxidants good, and it's again, it's just this balance of mm. things. But with prostaglandins, they're actually made from omega six or omega three fatty acids. So. 
I'm being a little bit reductionistic, but just so that everybody can grasp this. So if you're eating a diet that is highly processed food, lots of canola oil, um, maybe you're, you're a college student and you're like, I just eat wherever I eat, um, and your periods are really crampy and painful, you may need to focus on shifting your diet to being higher on omega-3s because you'll still make prostaglandins, but they won't they won't be as aggressive, so to speak. Now, prost- prostaglandins are good because they're how we shed our uterine lining. They're also how we have babies. But whenever I have a woman that's like, I have the worst cramps, they're so painful. And I'm like, do you get period diarrhea? And they're like, yes, is that a thing? Like, I never knew. Is that normal? It it happens. um, But it's a sign because the prostaglandins will also stimulate the bowels to contract. And so, and that's the worst. Now you have these terrible cramps. (laughs) You're sweating. There's lots of blood and you can't stop pooping. Like, and and then society's like, but women don't talk about any of this. So you're like all alone being like, is period diarrhea normal? Like, does everybody have, I can't talk about it. Can't talk about it socially, let alone on social media. I've never heard of that. Well, yeah, That's crazy. That either. Welcome to womanhood. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much of a factor are circadian rhythms? Oh my God, so much. So I talk about that um, in the On the Pill and uh, it's so interesting. Like research was coming out in the 70s saying like circadian rhythm affects ovulation, fertility, the menstrual cycle. And at that time they were like, and so much of, like the UK and the US can't even see the Milky Way. Like, and I'm like, oh, I was reading this. And this is like probably 2015. And I was just like, oh my God, like, what are we doing now? Yeah. Like back then we were walking around with computers, like in our hands all day, like, and at night and reading on tablets and and, you know, you can mitigate that by uh, wearing amber glasses. So that's something that like, uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was just sharing with people like I have two pairs of amber glasses with me right now because I'm mm-hmm. going to be in like airports this evening and on airplanes and like it, in my brain survives it so much better that way. Um, but it's something that you can have amber glasses. You can change lighting in your house. And then I also um, recommend that women try going by candlelight, uh, by the way, for new babies too. like go like this is something that I found that. If I, as soon as the sun went down, we went by candlelight as often as possible. Baby slept better. Yes, I do that with my fam- mm-hmm. with my family, and we use uh, um, Himalayan salt yes! lamps yeah. because they, they emit like a nice yeah, we got those red too. glow. And yeah. it has very little or no blue light or green yeah. light. And then, like when I would get up to feed my son at night, I would have my uh, camping my hiking headlamp, <laughs> and I put it on the red, and like so nobody's oh, no like way. melatonin's getting messed with. Melatonin's super super important, not only for um, sleep, but it's an antioxidant. So it protects our brain. It's protecting all of our tissues. It protects the ovaries. We actually use melatonin in cases of infertility, or if a woman is going through IVF and, you know, I've collaborated with a lot of reproductive endocrinologists that are like, I'm on board with that. Cause you know, anything that can help. Really? Like, what do you do? You have them take melatonin at night yeah. before they go to bed and it helps with the fertility. Yeah. And so it's an antioxidant. So when, when a woman is struggling to get pregnant, we want to protect those eggs as, as much as possible. So mm. the mitochondria in the eggs are uh, in the eggs, in the ovaries are making CoQ10. Um, well, the, excuse me, your ovaries are tissue is making CoQ10. It's fueling the mitochondria and they're keeping the the eggs safe. Can you tell I've been up since 4 a.m.? <laughs> like, let me say that differently. Um, and they're keeping the eggs safe. This is one 
thing when women come off of the pill and they say like the pill caused me to be infertile, we actually have no evidence that the pill or any hormonal contraceptive causes uh, longstanding infertility. But one hypothesis that I've written about uh, in several places that I have is that actually what's happening is that by the time you come off to have a baby, your tissue decline of CoQ10, which we it declines with age, it's already declining. So protecting those eggs uh, and being on a medication that depletes antioxidants has kind of done a disservice there. But it's not that the pill actually caused you to be infertile. We just need to bring up more antioxidants and, you know, depending on the time she's been struggling, also bring on a reproductive endocrinologist. Do you recommend CoQ10 supplementation for Mm -hmm. women on the pill? Okay, Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, I mean, the pill depletes CoQ10. Um, It's that or I'm I'm always food first. Um, But when I say like- you got to eat organ meats and like beef heart. I mean, where where do we ha- concentrate CoQ10 in the body? The heart. Mm-hmm. For anybody right now who's like, you are so disgusting. You said beef heart. Here's the trick. Go to the butcher, grass fed, make sure the farmer treated the cow well. I'm a very big proponent. This is how we save the planet. Um, beef heart. Ask them to take 25% beef heart ground up and 75% grass fed beef. And talk, we talk about this. Put That's it together and yeah. put it in a burger. You can't even taste it. <laughs> yeah. no, no, it's actually... The best, like I, I am weak sauce when it comes to O'Fall, and I and I was like living in Paris, and I'm like I don't want to eat foie gras, I don't want to do it. My <laughs> kid's like all the things he like does bone marrow, like it's like what is that the luge? Just like ah, like into his mouth. Um, bone marrow I can hang with, but um. With organ meats, I mean, the I think that that's the best burger you're ever going to have in your life when you put that beef in there. Um, and then I had sent you my first book, which is where I talk about liver, just um, making it like pill size, like the end of your pinky and cutting it all up and putting it in your freezer and then just taking it pill form. Mm-hmm. There are people that are doing desiccated liver, and I think that's a great option as well. But I mean, there's so much we don't know about nutrition. Like, yes, we've got macros. Yes, we've got micros. Uh, nutrients. I think it's a very short-sighted uh, perspective on food. And as we, you know, I've been saying for years, I think food is information and it's relaying signals to our body that's m- way more complex than we have the ability to understand currently with science. And as we there was just more research coming out showing that, you know, trees and the forest communicate to each other. And there's like basically this fungal mm-hmm. highway and that like they're all interacting. And if a predator comes in, like they're telling each other. And yeah. I'm like, if plants are doing that uh, with each other and they're communicating like to the squirrel and the bee and like we're animals, like what's going on with us? And I know there's people that are going to be like, that's so woo woo. Yeah. And in 20 years, you're going to be like, we discovered this thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's always how it goes. I'm like, whatever, I'll put ideas out into the ether and maybe they'll be true and maybe they won't be. And I'll be okay either way. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's just find out. I'd rather be on the safer side though. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I'm, li- I'm a very big proponent of like, I mean, and every time in my book, we talk about nutrients, it starts with like, here's all the foods and then we'll go into supplements. And it's it's really funny because I had uh, someone write me and they're like, your book, all you do is just push supplements and that's all you talked about. And I was like, well, I'm curious, like, because like when I talk about B5, I'm like shiitake mushrooms and I start talking to you through all that. When I talk about iron, I'm talking about animals and like the, the being more bioavailable and where to get omega-3s in your food supply. And she was like, well, all I saw was tables and bullet points and I just skimmed the thing. And I was like, so you didn't go into the paragraphs. And it's like what I'm hearing. And then she wrote You're me back lazy. and she's like, I just went into the paragraphs and you do talk about food first every time. And yeah. I was like, 
<laughs> yeah, oh, it's one of those things like when you write a book, you're like, people are going to get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it comes out, you're like, uh, okay, I, I know what I would have done differently yeah. now. Like we needed tables and charts for food because that's all anybody was looking at. Well, <laughs> well right? our bodies evolved assimilating nutrients from food. Mm -hmm. And so creating vitamins and supplements and minerals and, and pill form that's us getting as close as we possibly can to what our bodies evolved to to take them from, which is food. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're good, sometimes we're not. And food seems to have the most bioavailability yeah. of all these nutrients. Like try and get your vitamin D levels up by taking uh, you know, a pill versus take eating it, like like cod liver oil, for example. Yeah. Right, very, very bioavailable. A common symptom that I've heard... By the way, that can help with period pain. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. what, what, vitamin D? No, cod liver oil. Yeah, and vitamin D as well. You know, forever... I mean, it's called vitamin D, but it's actually more like a hormone. And spoiler, we don't know a whole lot about this. Like, I mean, it's amazing to see its interplay with autoimmunity, um, yeah. to see breast cancer. Um, also, you know, just in terms of hormones altogether. And it elicits an effect on, I mean through the vitamin D receptor on so many genes. I've heard I've heard other scientists and doctors say exactly the same thing, that we should probably consider it a hormone just by the way it acts. It was a game changer for yeah. my psoriasis. Mm -hmm. I've been, oh, yeah. been going to a dermatologist for 10 years, taking the steroid creams and all this shit. Never once did they talk to me about nutrition. Mm -hmm. Sal sends me over a study one day, and I'm like, oh, I've never really paid attention. Maybe my vitamin D levels are started taking it. Yeah. Better than anything else. Because there's also, there's vitamin D therapy for psoriasis. I mean, that they actually use. Um, we know with multiple sclerosis, for example, um, the further you are from the equator, so not you guys, but me, um, the higher the incidence of multiple sclerosis. And mm -hmm. they believe it, it has something to do with the vitamin D because we're not getting the sun exposure. Um, yeah. So what, what I was referencing was the omega-3. So cod liver oil mm -hmm. is rich in omega-3 mm -hmm. fatty acids. If you're going to take cod liver oil, bigger bottles is not better and please make sure it's sustainably harvest fish mm -hmm. because I think it's BS that there are supplement companies that just go out, catch a fish, gut it, pull out a liver and throw the fish into mm -hmm. the ocean. I'm mm -hmm. like, what are we doing here? Like we have to like all get along on this planet. And, and it can go rancid. A lot yeah. of times people buy fish oils or cod liver oils and don't realize that it went bad. Mm -hmm. So if you have the capsules, poke a hole in them, squeeze out the fish oil, smell it. And you'll know, uh oh, this isn't yeah. good. It's not going to do any yeah. good. Yeah. And then with cod liver oil, one thing you have to be cautious about, and same with liver, is that if you are pregnant, uh, that type of vitamin A is a teratogen. Mm. So too much of it um, can actually, teratogen basically means makes baby a monster. Like, And so just a, a word of caution with that. And that's usually when women are pregnant, we focus on using like a cod liver oil where they've screened the vitamin A. We know mm. what's in it. Some of them that are more food-based, they never screen it. Same with like liver. Mm -hmm. the, like if a patient's like, you know, I'm going to get pregnant and I'm taking this liver and I'm like, and there, and it says on there, this is just food and we don't know how much vitamin A. I'm like, we, we should be cautious with this. Because you can and, overdo it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Organ meats are so nutrient dense. You can actually eat too much. Yeah. Too much. No, I have friends that are like, if I eat liver past 3 p.m., I can't sleep that night because mm -hmm. I'm like, buzzing from it and I'm like that's amazing I don't have that experience you, with liver <laughs> now I know I know it's different from person to person but do you have a general like it's probably a good idea to eat organ meats once every two weeks once a week do you have a general recommendation? You know, um, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne has actually did, done a bit of research on this with the autoimmune uh, protocol. And it's something where, you know, it's weekly is what, what is recommended. Okay. Um, part of the problem that's speculated, like with like neat 
you know, being implicated in disease progression um, is one. I mean, if you treat an animal bad, do you think you're going to be able to eat that? I mean, this is the thing whenever people are like, needs inflammatory and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, it can be. I mean, if you put them on a grain lot and you treat them really poorly, like what would happen to you if like you didn't eat what you are by design supposed to eat and somebody's not so nice to you? Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody's not nice to you, your inflammatory proteins will go up. But um, but part of that is that we've gone so heavy on just muscle meat and not getting that um, uh, like O-fall is what it's called as well. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't take a lot, it's a couple ounces, like two to three ounces, um, which if you're not used to eating it, sounds like a lot, but mm-hmm. it can be helpful to bring it in on a weekly basis. And if you're like, that's too daunting, aiming for like once a month, mm-hmm. like, um, and just trying to incorporate it in some way. Now we were talking about um, vitamin D and it made me think of dietary cholesterol because mm-hmm. I know that when you're out in the sun, correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the process by which your body produces vitamin D from sunlight is through using cholesterol in mm-hmm. your blood. What are That's the, how we make hormones. That's how we make hormones also. What do we, let's talk about dietary cholesterol and its mm-hmm. and its and its benefits or detriments. I know for a long time. I mean, I was a uh, you know I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And we were told to avoid dietary cholesterol at all costs. Oh God, that and country then, crock tub. Oh, <laughs> oh, we had. That. I'm like, if I, I die at 60, I blame yeah. it on the margarine. Oh, terrible. <laughs> but I remember, and then I read uh, you know articles. I was into you know lifting weights and getting stronger. I read all these old timey strongmen and bodybuilders who consume tons and tons of, of high cholesterol foods and, and touted the strength benefits. And then I saw studies that showed, oh, it makes people stronger. And some in some of the healthiest populations have lots of cholesterol. What's the truth around cholesterol in terms of health? And mm-hmm. is there are there any benefits to women in particular? Yeah. So cholesterol is how we make our hormones. We also make cholesterol in our liver. So if you are if you have a family history of cardiovascular disease and you're concerned about cholesterol, you should be concerned about your liver because that's that's I mean, we're seeing more and more people with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease mm. where they have basically fat infiltration of their liver. So it's not functioning. Your liver does everything. So love your liver and it's going to produce cholesterol as well. So when it comes to dietary cholesterol, it's so interesting to me that people are still like, you can't eat cholesterol. Like it will give you heart disease because back when I was getting my nutrition degree, which is like over 15 years ago now, God, when did I get so old? Um, <laughs> so what I was getting, it was so interesting because my like, I would go to the clinical nutrition classes and they'd be like, fat-free diet, low cholesterol, like that's the way to go. Um, that's a, y- you'll lose a libido pretty quick practicing um, that. Um, my good friend, Kevin Gianni, I don't know if you know Kevin Gianni from Amory Skincare. He wrote a book called Coffee and Kale and he talks about being a vegan and how he like, like all of these hormonal issues he had and how he ended up eating animal fat and like how different that made him feel. So, and there's a lot of people who tell these stories, but back to when I was studying nutrition, clinical nutrition's like fat's bad, cholesterol bad, 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 bad. And then you, I would go to the science classes and they're like, yeah, there's no evidence that cholesterol is bad. The reason why we get plaques in our heart is from the immune system, what the immune system does with cholesterol and inflammation. And inflammation is actually what's driving heart disease. And we see that to be true still, but it's, it's like, 
I don't know why, as a society, we love to vilify things. I mean, that's why I think people love to misunderstand me about birth control because they're like, it must be the devil. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, we don't have to vilify things. We can be like, it just is. And this is how things work. And so with cholesterol and, uh, and dietary fat, it is important. If you think about it, we have these phospholipid bilayers. That's every single cell has this fat layer um, to protect it. So what it wants to stay in stays in and not anything can get in. And so dietary fat and cholesterol, I think is part of a healthy diet. Cholesterol is some uh, place where we can actually get uh, a lot of nutrients. So you're going to find, um, you know, in, in the fat under chicken skin, like if I have patients who are showing issues of like vitamin A deficiency, you know, before I'm like, oh, let's just give you a bunch of vitamin A. I'm like, can we eat the skin of chickens? Can we look at like uh, eating egg yolks, things like that? Because there are these fat soluble nutrients are only delivered in fat and I don't care if they fortified margarine all day I remember I remember when they came out with like here's this fake butter and we fortified it with omega-3 fatty acids mm -hmm. and like all this stuff and I'm just like and I ate it and I, I was a sucker for that marketing and then I look back and I'm just like you're not smarter than my body like <laughs> I mean you're smarter than my brain food scientist I'll give you that because food's been engineered to be highly palatable and um you know that 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 signal to your brain rewards your brain and makes your brain think that you got something nutrient dense when you didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's just smart. That's just really smart. It's brilliant. To have, like, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely right? brilliant. Um, one of the common um, complaints or symptoms that I've gotten from, from clients uh, regarding their period is acne mm -hmm. that they'll break out uh, at certain times of their cycle. Is that, is that a normal symptom or is that highlighting something that's off that we can work with either nutrition or yeah, no, I mean, order. definitely something's off if you're breaking out all the time and it's bothering you. Some, like getting um, a zit or two here before your period is like, that's not really problematic. But if we're talking about um, people who are like, I, the acne is affecting me and acne affects our mental health in a big way. Um, so that's where knowing your cycle and mapping your cycle. I mean, this is the fifth vital sign. We can understand what is actually going on here. So if you have acne and it precedes ovulation, it's likely an androgen issue. So mm. testosterone going on. So testosterone can cause Is acne. it too high? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. It's usually too high or you're converting it into DHT, which is a very potent. It's what causes male and female pattern hair loss. And it's a really potent androgen. So um, that could be the issue with acne. Um, it may, if acne is coming up uh, just before your period, it's likely, it can sometimes be high progesterone but it's because progesterone can make the pores swell, but it's likely that it's an estrogen issue and we've got too much estrogen. But the other thing that can happen before your period is that you can, so we have period diarrhea, but before our period, we can actually become constipated. And so when we become constipated, and that's because our hormones, especially progesterone, can slow down the motility of our digestive tract. So the muscles will just relax. So with that, if you are constipated, you can have higher levels of estrogen because now those gut bugs have time to make beta-glucuronidase and to reactivate the estrogen and put it back into circulation. Mm -hmm. So so because you're, because so good clear, good motility is very important for mm -hmm. normal estrogen levels. If yes. you stay backed up or whatever, yeah. what you're saying is estrogen goes up. Yeah, that oh, wow. and 
how do you get your waste out? If you're not pooping it out uh, and you're not drinking enough water and you're probably, if you're constipated, you're probably not drinking enough water to pee it out. It's going to start going out through your skin. Like your body's going to start removing. And mm-hmm. so that's one way that we get stuff mm-hmm. out. And so if you have acne and it's non-cyclical, so for instance, I'll have, you know, this comes up with patients where they're like, every time I travel, I have a breakout by the time I get home. And like, what happened when you traveled? How are you pooping? I didn't poop. Most people will have trouble pooping when they travel. Mm-hmm. Take some magnesium citrate with you so that like you can have that bowel movement, but that's can, what can be going on. So acne is kind of complicated because it can be hormones. It can be gut microbiome or skin microbiome disruption. It can be uh, accompanied with food sensitivities. So if before your period, you're someone who's like, I'm binging on sugar right. and carbs and chocolate. Chocolate's a good thing for you. That was the next, about chocolate. That yeah. was the next one is like food cravings. Yeah. Like what's going yeah, on with that? Yeah, well, I mean, that is one thing is, is that your body's like, we're going to make a baby. So <laughs> there's one, th- one, you know, there's that part, but there's also the shift in the neurotransmitters that can make us want to crave more. Um, and you're not a bad person if you crave these things, but like if you're craving salty carbohydrates, we've probably got some adrenals stuff going on um and and even like sweets can be a part of that as well but that's the other thing is that if you're binging out uh, the other because like dopamine too will be like please reward me like i need like i get that chocolate fix and i feel so much better um and chocolate's not necessarily a bad thing you can't overdo it if you're sensitive if you're sensitive to it and you guys everybody listening view this all through the lens of what's true for me because i'm saying a lot of true stuff but it might not be true for you and you might be like i eat chocolate and i get a migraine (laughs) not good for you. Don't do it. Like, don't, it's not, that's not true for you. But, um, in all of that, if you're, you know, binging on some of these foods that can, you know, we know that acne can be associated with food sensitivities. So, that's another thing that could be going on. It may be that we don't have enough uh, vitamin A and zinc uh, going on to help with our immune system and to help our skin health. And so this is where getting lab testing, partnering with a clinician could really help you troubleshoot it. Acne is the last thing to heal. I talk about this in my book. Um, mm. And, you know, even uh, I had friends that were like, man, I can't believe you told like you told people that like acne is going to be last to heal. And some of these things are going to take longer. And I'm like, I'm just so over as a woman. I'm over these books that are like lose 50 pounds in five days or like mm. um, fix your entire menstrual cycle in two weeks. And I'm like, but your menstrual cycle is more than two weeks. So like <laughs> how it like, I don't, like you can make changes and things can improve, but like, let's be realistic and let's stop setting false expectations for people. Like natural healing doesn't work like a pharmaceutical. You don't just take it and your body's like, shut it down. Like it's, and that there's a time and a place mm. for that. Uh, it's something that takes time. And usually acne is one of the last things to heal. It's a signal that something else is going on. So it might be that you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Like that is, you know, you might have inflammation, insulin dysregulation, and then that in, uh, um, insulin, which is a hormone produced by the pancreas to usher sugar into the cell. In women with PCOS, it stimulates the theca cells of the ovaries to make more androgens. And then 5-alpha reductase comes in and converts it to DHT. Now we lose hair on our head, we grow it on our chin, and we have oily skin and acne just about everywhere. Mm. So, you know, acne can be complicated, but there is a reason why you have it. And it's an opportunity to investigate. Just know that your body is going to heal your gut, your brain, your heart, all the organs that like are super, super important. Our skin is super important, but nobody died of acne. Like, so it's not a situation where your body's like, this is life or death, but you know, it's going to want to heal the more vital organs. How, How can, how can exercise make this worse or better? Yeah. 
So overtraining, I mean, I don't even know, does it need to be said? Overtraining does no one any favors. I mean, not just for your hormones. I mean, but you can get injuries. And so um, certainly if, like, the thing is, is that, um, so you guys see that the U.S. soccer team attributes, like, part of why they won is that they actually charted their menstrual yes. cycle. Yeah. Yeah. We talked yes, about we that on the last. Everybody who's listening, go back and listen to last uh, episode because I talked all about how mm-hmm. to work out on your menstrual cycle. Um, and I saw that come out. Yeah, we, like they won in the time that we've mm-hmm. talked and I was like badass that is so awesome um but women are le- in the in the um coach that they brought in he has an app um I actually uh downloaded it but I'm like super skittish about period apps these days because they're sharing all this data oh did you guys see that no, no so no, um yeah I didn't I, even think of that yeah absolutely because you're entering in all your information super personal data like facebook now no no because there's no doctor patient relationship but like so facebook knows when you have sex Hmm. like they share that data and um and also i can think about this right now if if you if, if you start to figure out when a woman woman is in her on her cycle I wonder if you could start to create targeted advertising. 100. Mm. When would you send her an ad on chocolate? Right, right. Uh, right when you're probably most likely to crave it. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Facebook. Exactly. Um, and that's, uh, I think, where Apple's going to come in uh, this month. They're supposed to drop an app. And I think they're just going to be like, fools, you should not have shared data. I mean, I get it. Like, how do you make money as an app? You know, like, you got to share data. Oh, that's a little bit of a tangent. Please don't everybody freak out. I've put my data in lots of apps, but um, <laughs> they they have this app. So they have this app where you can actually train with your menstrual cycle and put in your data and um, and then track your training. And I have women that are like, this is so complicated. It's actually not. All you have to do is pay attention to your body and then honor it. So instead of being like, oh, like I, I want to keep up with so-and-so in CrossFit and I need to push hard and I'm not feeling it today, but I'm just going to do it anyways because my ego, um, I've totally been there. So I am not judging anybody. <laughs> um, and that, and then you're like, wow, oh, I feel awful. And the doms, like they came and they just stayed. Like if you are three days out of a workout and you're still super sore, you did something wrong. Like there's something wrong there. Like that wasn't right for you. Um, and then, you know, the other thing too, is that if you're feeling like, oh, I feel like I I, I was only going to run five miles, but I feel like I could run 10 miles today. Do it. See what happens. Like, here's the thing. You can make a mistake and you can come back from it. Like if you, and you'll know if it's too much, but if you feel really good, just you can go for it. Like we, we get these really rigid ideas and then we're like, oh, we, I have to do like, I have to do Pilates in my luteal phase because my hormones are dropping and that's what I need. But maybe you do feel really good to do some like hot yoga instead. Cause you're sweating. Just listen to get in tune and honor your body and track what happens and like, just be your own little scientist there. Um, I mean, there's so many things about how to eat with your menstrual cycle, how to move with your menstrual cycle that I have seen time and again with patients that like once they start tracking everything and they start paying attention and they honor where they're at, they intuitively move into all of this. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have to like have an app or have like any of these things. Although I think it is a good way to start learning your body. It can Mm -hmm. be one avenue to get there. But I never want people to feel like the only way I am going to know my body is if I buy Dr. Brayton's book or if I buy this app or if I do that, like you live in it. You can get to know it. Do now, you, do to, you think that because uh, women have been in in modern societies on birth control when they're you know seventeen and then they did they were on it for ten years and then they went off that they didn't they missed crucial time to learn their bodies to kind of understand what feels normal for them or not because they didn't 
they, they were on birth control that whole time. Yeah, I mean, possibly, but they also didn't miss out on learning about pregnancy. So there's that. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. There's a researcher, Dr. Jalen Pryor, who actually is very, I mean, in her research is looking at ovulation and looking at, it's a really a 10-year maturation uh, from the day you get your period and then about 10 years later for brain ovarian communication. So wow. she's calling to question what happens when we disrupt that and come in with the pill. I mean- when you consider there's 100 million women worldwide on hormonal birth control and how little research we have on uh, brain health, just for example, um, there was Dr. Kissling, as her name was in Scientific American uh, this year, and she made a statement, which is 100% true, that... Uh, long-term suppression of the menstrual cycle via birth control is, uh, in, in women, this is the longest uncontrolled experiment we've ever done. And we actually haven't been following up on the research. And it's a very interesting, I, I just love observing things. Uh, and to observe how many OB-GYNs and medical doctors are like, shut it down. Don't talk about the side effects. Don't talk about any of this. You'll just scare women from taking it. And this is just fear-mongering. And then to see all the PhDs researchers that are like, we got to talk about this. We need to research this. Like what's going on? And doctors are like, no, it's absolute. And this is how everything responds. And my friend, uh, you know, Dr. Sarah Hill, uh, who wrote an excellent book that's coming out about birth control and just looking at neurological health. She made a very interesting statement to me. And it was so on the head in that she said, you know, clinicians, these doctors expect that everybody should have the exact same, like, you know, response to a medication. And she's like, and the problem is, is that science is just doesn't show that to be true. And she's like, and I, you know, we have had these dialogues about things that they say are evidence-based. And then when you actually look into the evidence, you're like, well, not, not so much. And so, you know, this is not to say that anyone's bad, but I think that, there's a, this comes out of fear, like this fear that we'll lose birth control or this fear that it'll scare a woman who needs it. Because like, if you have endometriosis or really like you need a blood transfusion because your periods are so heavy, like you need birth control to like get out of that. Do you need it for life? Maybe, maybe not, but like, that's a good tool. But you know, they feel uh, this real kind of fear and uh, the fear that we'll lose access, the fear that a woman won't take it. And I really, and a lot of that is like, I just, I feel like it's kind of um, treats women like they're dumb. Mm. Um, I think that we can advocate for access and education so the woman has that informed consent. And I want every woman working with a doctor, not going it alone. But like this whole conversation is we don't know what's normal and when it's time to go to the doctor. And the same is when we start uh, birth control is that women don't always know that like that's a side effect of birth control. Talk to your doctor because there's lots of formulations of the pill. Like you could switch to a different one or maybe an IUD would be better or maybe you would do better, you know, with a NuvaRig. Like there is no one size fits all in this and we just need to be able to have that conversation. And the thing I'm advocating for daily is having that humility and curiosity in medicine to say like, like okay, like I just owned that I used to say the pregnant alone still. Mm -hmm. And that is so wrong. Is that because like, oh, I'm a stupid person. I should feel ashamed. And like, I think sometimes like doctors have this pressure and they feel that. No, it's because that's what we knew. But now we know better. Now we change our language. And I, I have no problem saying, yep, I was wrong about that. We were wrong about that. And like, this is actually what's going on. Now we understand that. And in some ways, it's, it's like there's this fear of like, I can't be wrong. And I've watched a lot on social media where like women are just sharing their personal story. 
And then a doctor comes in and I get tagged in these things because they're like, Dr. Brian, what is this? This doctor is telling me this is irresponsible for you to share your story because, um, you know, this is, you know, going to harm women. You're hurting women. And it's I'm like, women need to be able to talk freely about what happens in their body and to share their story. And I don't think that sharing your story, I just don't think anybody should be silencing women anymore. But it's almost this like, I'm the doctor, I know best, only have this conversation in my office. And in sometimes it's like, I tell you what to do and you just accept it and don't question me. Not all doctors are like that. Mm. My friends who are medical doctors are not like that. But, you know, when you hear these stories from women, it becomes very apparent why they are now so distrusting of their doctor. And that's something that like, I expend a great amount of energy trying to help women like revive that trust mm. where I'm like, every single profession has people like this because they have people. You'll meet mechanics like that, lawyers like that. Like they're everywhere, and just it's just so intimate when it's your doctor. But maybe that's just not the right doctor for you. But I don't want anyone listening to this to think medical doctors are bad and conventional medicine is like out to get us. Like there are people who very much believe this, and I'm like, yeah, you know. And that time I got bit by a dog, and there like, that medical doctor was there for me. Like I've had my life saving experiences where I'm like. No, I love me some MDs, but we have to stop thinking that they're the holy grail of everything and start looking at a team approach in mm-hmm. terms of medicine. So, and personal responsibility. That's as the well. big one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the big one is is taking responsibility and ownership of your health, which some people don't want the responsibility because it's a big responsibility really when you think is. about it. It's like, I know I have this to body. Inform, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to inform myself. I have to take care of myself. I can't yeah. just do what someone do the tells work. me. Yeah. Well, but it I, feels confusing yes. these days too because there's people out. I mean, that is why, like, I say all the time, like, is this true for you? Like, view it through that lens because people will be like, I'm so confused. So and so said cholesterol is the devil, and so and so said cholesterol is the best thing ever, and I don't know. And it's like change your diet, do your labs, like what's happening for you. Like just test what is true for you and respect your ability to know your body. I think that's the other thing is that we've been disempowered and it's been, I mean, a lot in women's medicine where it's just kind of like, oh, you silly women, your body's too complicated. You can't understand it. And like, and so we feel like, oh, and, and we don't have scientifically accurate sex education in school. So like, where are we going to get this information? And we're seeing people, I mean, people have taken to the internet to find this information, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, it's why I do what I do because I, I mean, I saw this post the other day that I don't even know how you come up with this, but they were like, periods are unnatural. And the only reason you have a period is because you're toxic and the blood is cleansing <laughs> from your body. And I was like, Whoa. that's not exactly how, and I wanted to write like, and be like, who originally did this post and what state do they live in? And what is right. the state's sex education? And like, how do we go upstream and prevent this from happening? Because then women on that thread were like, oh my God, I'm so unhealthy. I have a period. Or um, I saw this in the paleo space, I think probably like six, seven years ago where women were like, it's really abnormal for women to menstruate as much as they do now because in paleolithic times, like, we were pregnant all the time or nursing and da, 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 And it's just like, yeah. And you died at like 30 with like 13 kids. Like I, <laughs> I have patients who have had eight or more children and it's very, I have, I had one patient with uh, 26 children and wow. it's very, Whoa. very depleting on the body. Oh, like sure. very 26? depleting. Wow. I know, right? That's She's like an all-star. My grandma had 18 and I'm like, that's wow. amazing. Uh, I have one. 
Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do, do you ha- do you have a um a protocol as far as like for example like someone's listening and they are somebody who is uh, taking their labs yeah and then they're making some adjustments in their in their diet or their routine you know do you recommend only maybe manipulating one or two variables be consistent for with that for x amount of time retest again and then play like, how, do you have a protocol well it depends and that's the thing of like what makes um it's so difficult to have the science on a lot of natural therapies is because it's like in nature like, do you ever just get vitamin A on its own? Like, no, vitamin mm-hmm. A comes together with like a whole other, a lot of other things. And so it's like science wants to be like the one variable and what does it affect? I love that. I love to know these things. But when it comes to like working with the body, we need, like, if you're not sleeping, good luck, eat all the vegetables you want. If you're sleeping, but you're just, you're not eating any vegetables, like, that's that going to be a problem? So we have to look at the lifestyle and nutrition factors together. If we're using, you know, uh, you know, certain like uh, protocols, diets, uh, therapeutic diets, um, you know, for like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and things like that. Mm. Those are temporary diets. And then, yes, we're going to go back and, and test and see how did the treatment do. And so it really just depends on what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's very much what we're seeing. The movement is to get away from that, like one size fits all cookie cutter approach for everyone. And it's harder in medicine to not just be like, oh, here, you're in the algorithm. I do this. And mm. most people don't follow the algorithm. I remember when I first got into practice and I was like, dang it, nobody's like, why is nobody just fitting the, per-? and you get one person who fits the perfect algorithm and you're like, yes, I know what to do. <laughs> I know this. Um, you know, and and back to your point, we, we covered the overtraining. We didn't talk about not exercising. Right. As well, I mean, that's something too that like, if you have someone that, and I have seen, I've had the patients come to me, I mean, from all different kinds of doctors who are like, I don't exercise, I don't drink enough water, I'm constipated and I have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, I'm being treated for that over and over and over. And I'm like, but if you don't move your body, then you don't move your intestines. And like, if you don't move your body, you actually, so movement helps us convert inactive T4, thyroid hormone, to active T3. And so that helps with our motility as well. And so, you know, not exercising also means muscle atrophy over time. And everybody's always like, osteoporosis, that's the disease like grandmas get. Mm, you know when it started? <laughs> it actually started when you were like a teenager. Uh, bless us all who did not <laughs> eat well. I didn't eat well. It was like fast food check crumb donuts for lunch check um yeah i'm just like don't be dr brighton um but you know in that uh making sure that we are getting movement every day it's important for muscle mass bone health it's important for and when we build muscle mass we sensitize to insulin our fat cells they are endocrine organs so fat will release hormones as will muscle and so um and again it's um you know we want to vilify fat uh no we need fat fat's healthy it's important to have body fat you get too low in body fat you will stop menstruating um that's a phenomenon that does happen. But, you know, in that, we want to be moving every day because that's also going to get our endorphins up. It's going to drop, drop stress hormones. Um, and it's always funny. I, I mean, I probably said this on the last podcast of like how often like like medicine feels like it needs a study to tell people to be human and to be an animal like they are like, oh, we have a study now that says you should sleep. So now I'll recommend sleep. We now <laughs> yeah. have a study that says you should drink water. And so now I'll recommend Breaking water. News. And it's like, OK. 
So go look at what your dog does. Like go look at go look at what monkeys do. Like go look at like like they they move around. Dogs do sleep a lot. This is something mm. that I'm like, why don't they live longer? I keep asking <laughs> myself this. I now have. I don't think I had a Chihuahua last time. Yeah. Did I tell you? No. Did you get a new Chihuahua? Yeah. So I have had two pit bulls in my life. I'm like a pit. Well, that's person. a that's a transition. I know, like 80 pound <laughs> dogs, but like we needed. Um, so with my son's condition that he developed, uh, we and he. He just he was having a bad day. I was like, let's go to the Humane Society. We check out the um he sees the Chihuahua, the Chihuahua sees him. It's totally like running across a filled moment. And I was like, oh, texted my husband. I'm like, I'm bringing a dog home. Like they're in love. Like they're in love. And this Chihuahua is I'm not people anyone have little dogs in here? D- Doug yeah. has one. Yeah. Have you had a big dog before? Because everybody, yeah, Doug's like, no. So everybody's like, I'm like, how do I take care of this dog? Everyone's like, it's the same. It's not the same. No, it's, it's like, totally different. It's this, he's a deer head chihuahua. He has this long body. He's super cute, but he's like somewhere between a dog and a cat crossed with a ferret kind of action going on. And like, <laughs> but he totally, uh, you know, he helps my kid with stress, anxiety, like the kid's anxiety just like went away with the dog oh, and the wow. cuddling. Cuddling dogs is good for your oxytocin um, levels as well. So that's part of why I bring up the dog, but also that I'm like, that dog sleeps more than my big dog did. And I'm like, what is up with dogs? I want that life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, cuddling dogs, great uh, for oxytocin, which is um, interesting fact. Breastfeeding, uh, you, you get this hormone when you go in uh, when you have a baby as well. But I don't recommend it's the bonding that. hormone, right? Bonding hormone, love hormone, chill out hormone. So it, it'll actually oppose cortisol. Too much cortisol is a bad thing. Cortisol is not bad. It modulates inflammation. It does a whole lot in our body. Um, But, you know, for instance, there's been studies to show excess cortisol in the brain kills brain cells. Good news is Mm. brain cells come back. It's not. So kids of the 80s, right? This is your brain on drugs. And like, here's this frying egg. And you're like, uh, and that's when we were told, like, once your brain's damaged, it's damaged forever. Ha ha. Not true. (laughs) Yes. All that alcohol you guys drank in college, you're okay. You can come back from it. Um, I wasn't saying you guys, but just you guys you were who were listening. It's true. I, I didn't go to college. So. <laughs> Lots of cake stands. Lots of cake stands. <laughs> Funnels, luges, louves. All what are stuff. those called? A luge. Uh, yeah. luge. I had it right. Ice okay. luge. Yeah. Yeah. What is it, what, what are the most like important nutrients that women should kind of pay attention to? Um, like what are common, I guess, nutrient deficiencies that we're finding yeah. with, with, with women in particular? Well, iron is one of the biggest ones if you're a menstruating female because you lose it in your blood. Um, so you menstruate and you're losing iron. What are and, the symptoms of having low iron? Yeah. So when we want to test iron, we want to look at a CBC, a complete blood count, which will go show our like hemoglobin and hematocrit. And if your iron is low, your red blood cells get very small and you don't transport oxygen. So now you're fatigued. But before that happens, I also run a ferritin in my patients and that's the storage form of iron so I say that's the savings account your red blood cells the CBC that's the checking account it's out there spending your iron and ferritin's your savings account we know that if ferritin gets below 50 women can start to lose hair Mm. feel anxious restless leg syndrome is associated with this and weird thing Beet urea. Have you ever eaten beets and you see red urine? Yes. Yeah, that can actually be an issue with not having enough iron sometimes. Hmm. Not in every case, but it's uh, iron's involved in the enzyme that actually helps break uh, that pigment down. 
And iron, in addition, it's also necessary for the liver to do its job. Um, so in that, iron is one of the big ones that we see. Iron deficiency anemia is actually more common um, than you might think. So if you, ladies, if you haven't had that tested, definitely get that tested. Um, you know, all of the nutrients are super important for our health. You know, we don't hear about folate until like we want to have a baby, but like folate and D12 do a whole lot more than just making sure that your egg divides correctly. They're involved in... Um, Really, I mean, they're involved in your DNA, so it's your cellular division, but they're also uh, involved in red blood cell maturation. So this is the tricky thing. You can have iron deficiency, but at the same time have B12 deficiency. B12 makes your uh, red blood cells look larger yes. and iron makes them look smaller. And so sometimes it's like it looks like a wash and you're like, like you're normal. But yeah. You got and low you're B12 like, then. I'm fatigued. And with B12, yeah. if it goes chronically low, um, you can have dementia like symptoms, which we used to say. Uh, uh, you know, like 15, 20 years ago, B12 causes irreversible neurological damage. Now we, and and so you, uh, people can present as if they have dementia. We always test this in like a 60 plus year old who's presenting with dementia-like symptoms. But now we know it's, it's not irreversible. Like the brain has a lot more capacity to heal than what we've given credit for. So that's why it's important to do the CBC, the ferritin, B12 folate, I think is great to test, but also look at your homocysteine because homocysteine will actually show you like, how are you utilizing that folate and how are you utilizing that B12 as well? Mm. Zinc is another important one. I mean, zinc deficiency, selenium deficiency, iodine deficiency, these can result in hypothyroidism. It's very rare to actually see that as the cause of hypothyroidism. In the United States, it's primarily autoimmune. Um, but with that, you know, uh, when zinc gets low, testosterone gets uh, squirrely, immune system not so great, gut doesn't repair itself so well. Selenium is an antioxidant, so really great for sperm health, but also very good for egg health as well. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, I'm, I'm just scratching the surface, but like all of your nutrients are super, mm. super It sounds important. like you've named a bunch that are found in meat. Yeah. Where, is that where that's mostly found? Everything There's a ton found in meat. I know you guys are like always like, Vote for meat, meat. over here. <laughs> Number one. Well, I feel like there's, I mean, and what do you think about that? I feel like we're we're seeing a, the rise in, in veganism right now. Yeah. Like more than we've ever seen in the last two decades. And this is something that concerns us because I hear things like that. And I'm like, well, you're listing off all these things. And the thing I'm going is, oh, it's like a big juicy steak you just listed yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, B12, and that's the thing, you know, B12 is, is going to be found primarily in animal products or fortified foods. Um, like they'll fortify tempeh and we'll have nutritional yeast with it. But it's a really, really important nutrient and it's very, very hard to absorb. And so with that, you know, it is an interesting thing that you observe that um, because we've actually, so we've had a big nanny struggle trying to find a nanny. And one thing that we've run into is vegan nannies who refuse to cook meat or handle meat or touch it at all. And I'm like, my son with his condition and my health, like we need substantial protein. This is the diet that works for us. And I'm like, I'm not going to judge your diet, but like, yeah, when they're like, I mean, it's, it's something where it's a screening question. I would never, um, I've actually have hired, uh, <laughs> had vegans come work in my house uh, before and they've been fine handling meat. Um, but it's something where I'm like, if you can't prepare my son food and it's, it's, uh, we did, we did 
do a trial with one and she was like giving him peanut butter and jelly and I was like I never my kids don't eat that like we don't do like that is like do you want like basically Chucky running around the house <laughs> like that is like a blood sugar nightmare uh, with what my kid has going on like this is the diet he needs to eat and so you know whenever I've had patients come into my practice and sometimes you know so people vegans and vegetarians usually ask first are you going to ask me to change my diet and the thing I always say is like I am going to do your lab work, like hear your story, go through everything. And I'm going to present you with like what needs to happen. And I need you to be open to the possibility your diet's not serving you. It may or may not be. Like I have patients who are vegetarians and they thrive. Um, my mother-in-law has actually never had meat in her life. And she's, I think, no, no, she's in her 60s. I don't know if she cares if I gave away her age. Um, but like on no medications, super healthy. Mm -hmm. Like, so, I mean, it's possible. But the the thing that I always have with patients is that like, if you're not okay with me questioning and speaking to you about your diet and whether it's serving you, I probably won't be a good fit because in my job to educate you, you can do whatever, and I tell them, you can do whatever you want. I can tell you like, you're iron deficient, you're B12 deficient, like, you know, you need selenium and, you know, you get that best from like seafood. And yes, you can get some from Brazil nuts, but like, you know, we really need to get these levels up. And and you're like, I don't want to do that. I just want to supplement. That's 100% your choice. Like you can do that. I personally was a vegetarian for 10 years. Um, I had a copper AOD, became iron deficient. And my doctors were like, okay, you need an iron supplement. And I remember, I think I was probably like 27, 28. And I was like, what, how come you're not talking to me about my diet? And they're like, well, you're a vegetarian. So like, we don't want to talk to you about your diet. Cause like eating meat, like that's off the table. I'm like, well, you never asked me. And also what I'm hearing is my diet's not working for me. My ferritin, which should be like 70 to 90, was at three. I mean, single digit, that's scary. Uh, so my savings account was depleted and my checking account was depleted as well. And so, you know, I went back to eating meat and I went out and I ordered a buffalo burger and I, I was like, oh, and we all tell us our story. There's this um, story of like, when you go back to eating meat, you're not gonna be able to digest it. You're gonna feel awful. It wasn't true. I actually felt better. I had more energy. But I remember like, I was like having this like moment where I was like, my identity is a vegetarian, but this tastes so good in my body. And I was dreaming about it. Like I was dreaming about wow. meat. And so, you know, I changed my diet because I've always been a food first person, but that really always stayed with me that like my diet, my diet wasn't serving me and my doctors weren't willing to have that conversation because they didn't want to offend me. And it's not about offending me. It's that, you know, your doctor, your scientist, you mm. need to put it out there and you need to educate the person and you need to respect their decision. If they want to be a vegan and they want to use supplements, that's their decision. And I think part of the rise in veganism is this idea of this is how I'm going to save the planet. And the thing I get really concerned about, so as we were talking, uh, I think we were talking about me being an urban farmer, yeah. um, is just how depleting monoculture crops are to the earth and how they disrupt the microbiome of the earth and how, uh, I mean, soy and wheat farming is not a sustainable practice, but um, really what, there's going to be a documentary that I'm, I'm privy to, but I can't, I can't talk about coming out about how, you know, sustainable farming practices that in actually integrate like the goats and the chickens mm -hmm. and the ducks and the cows and all of those things and then grow produce. Like that's actually how we heal the planet. And that's actually how we reestablish the microbiome. We take care of the local ecology in those areas. Like currently in Portland, I'm watching that they're 
ripping down these craftsman houses. It's breaking my heart because mm. then they just rip it down and they decimate the entire yard and they just build out. It's like the Bay Area. And I'm like, what about the little ecosystem that was going on there? Why are we not like, uh, I want to see vegans like actually picketing that. Like, what about, I mean, in Portland, there's a whole, like the Audubon Society, like awards people for keeping yards that are like, okay, you have like, you have enough diversity going on that like birds have a place to be and squirrels have a place to be. And so it's something that like, Yes, food is one piece, but like the answer is is never extremes. And like I honor what they're trying to do, but we also have to look at like now if you switch to eating processed food, that's not a better alternative for your health. It's not a better alternative for the planet. Um, if you're eating food that's being shipped across the continent or coming across, you know, trucks, like that's also so there's other things that we can do for the planet. And that's what I'm saying is like if you're a meat eater, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Support your local farmer. Farmers are the unsung heroes of healthcare and they don't get enough respect. Mm -hmm. um, so support your local farmers. Shop local as often as possible. Um, you guys have a new seasons down here. Mm -hmm. um, my Lyft driver actually started one of the first new seasons. So we were having a whole conversation on the way over here because um, new seasons is in Portland and they try to source everything as local oh, as okay. possible. Cool. Um, yeah, it's a big chain in um, Portland and they, they keep everything you know as close as possible. But it's things like that, that like, if a truck didn't have to drive across the country or, you know, it didn't have to come across a boat. Right. Like, what a great point. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can cut down in so many ways. Um, I almost never drive. Yeah. And I walk like just uh, just about everywhere I can or like I'll even do like a lift carpool kind of style thing or, you know, we try to group things all together at once. So, you know, when it comes to like saving the planet, I applaud everybody who's doing what they can because it's like is scary times right now. Like, it's a complicated problem. It's a very, very complicated problem. Can you problem. talk about uh, your setup? Because we were talking about that a little bit with the yeah. chickens and then your plans in terms of like the garden on top and you know oh, how yeah. you're going to have that all set up like a sustainable little ecosystem back there. Yeah. So, well, we only have um, chickens right now. My husband really wants to get quail. Uh, if end of days does happen on the planet, quail will probably be the best thing yeah. to go with. They turn over really fast. Um, I just... I, to him, I'm like, this. that's just going to be a pain. And like these little tiny birds, like how much work is that going to take? <laughs> I don't know. But they do turn over really, really quick and you can eat their eggs and you can sell their eggs uh, for quite a bit, actually. Um, and they're delicious little eggs. Yeah, I've um, had them before. They're tiny though. Yeah. So we have the chicken coop and then on top of the chicken coop, we we built it. I didn't build it. My husband built it um, so that uh, the roof we can grow. And uh, so it's the thing that I'm considering, like I'm going to grow some plants through the winter and then I'm probably going to give up that space to pollinators like next year. So a lot of my raised beds that I have, I actually um, gave up a lot to the bees this year of like planting borage. I eat the flowers. So I'd let them pollinate them. Then they drop. Then I would put, oh my God, borage flowers like on salads and nasturtium oh, and wow. like, and talk about like a way to show your microbiome some diversity is like, eat the weird things that you don't see in the supermarket. We had like um, breakfast salads like all summer with flowers on them. And I was like, I just feel so fancy. I feel like <laughs> a little fairy or something. Um, yeah, but you know, that's part of like me. So my son, um, he actually gets, he, it's not anaphylactic, but he swells terribly with bee stings. Um, I do as well. But last time his hand swelled so bad, he blistered and his skin split. So like, I can't keep bees. <laughs> 
I really want to keep these, but instead we I gave up a lot for pollinators. And so making sure that they had, um, you know, lots of flowers and things to eat in my yard. Don't cut down your dandelions. Um, and we actually have a rule in my house of like, uh, if we don't see dandelions growing, we don't go in that grass to play um, because odds are it is sprayed with glyphosate. And um, oh, interesting. We, we now have evidence that like, you know, and all these herbicides now we have evidence of what we've always suspected to be true, which pisses me off because it's one of those things where like the burden of proof was on the shoulders of the consumer mm -hmm. and that's just never right. So um, we actually, so my yard hasn't had any chemical sprayed in it in 10 years. I have an apple tree, which was why I bought it. I planted a cherry tree and I planted a pear tree, an Asian pear tree. I'm a big proponent. If you're going to grow anything, grow the most expensive stuff in the grocery store. So Asian pears, expensive, grow that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to have figs, but they're so messy. I'm like, I really want a fig tree, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. And so, yeah. And then I've got, how many raised beds do I have? Five raised beds now. Um, which I'll grow, you know, just a variety of things. And then I barter. If you follow my Instagram, you saw anybody, you saw my son taking a basket of apples over to the neighbors and trading them tomatoes because my tomatoes just did not take off like my neighbors did this year, but I had tons of apples to trade. And so um, trading uh, squash, I didn't want to, I don't like squash that much. And so I didn't want to grow squash this year. I was like, I'm over it. I don't even like it. Um, and my husband or my son went and traded uh, pears and apples to get some squash. And so doing things like that where, um, and then we have so many friends and then other families we contact to come and take the additional produce I grow. And then I grow a lot of my own herbs. So um, there's a whole bush of red raspberries, which is delicious. But the red raspberry leaf is a great tea. It's a uterine tonic. So if you're someone who sees um, brown discharge with your um, period, that's slow flow, oxidized blood. If it starts out that way, maybe blood left over from your previous period um, taking in red raspberry leaf, I'm not saying that's going to fix your problems. I'm making claims here, but it is an herbal tonic to help with blood perfusion and the strength of the uterus. And oh, so that's why it's given. What do you pregnancy. just take the leaves and you boil them? Um, I sometimes I'll do, um, fresh raspberry uh, tea, but I usually just dehydrate everything. So like I have this, <laughs> I was laughing with uh, Jordan and uh, telling him about like last time on the podcast, we were making fart and poop jokes. And um, we, I made this tea with my son and it's uh, fennel and peppermint leaf. And we called it the stop farting so much. Um, so, and we just dried it and we have a whole jar of it. Awesome. And so same with our hops, we used to homebrew. Then we figured out we were gluten intolerant and that sucked. I had a kegerator in my kitchen and we would homebrew like chocolate coconut stout beer oh, and like right. uh, and then uh, my husband's like here's why I have migraines and I'm like here's yeah. why I can't move my joints like wah, it's wah. a sad day I know, I know. I and so like anybody who's listening who's like I don't want to go gluten-free oh my god I, when I went gluten-free there was like one gluten-free beer on the market. It wasn't good. And gluten-free bread was like a brick. Like you could smash windows oh, with yeah. it. It was awful. Yeah, uh, it's come a long way. I'm like, you posh spoiled babies now that don't want to go gluten-free. Uh, I didn't want to go gluten-free. I was like, I'm not going to be that person. And then I was yeah. like, ah. I'm person. that person. Yeah. Do you think, uh, I've been meaning to ask you this, do you think choline should be considered an essential nutrient? I've heard some debate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we certainly need choline. That's mm. why we put it in um, prenatals. It's mm. it's a really important nutrient to have as part of that as well. And that's the other thing to keep in mind for everyone listening is like 
Prenatals are great. I definitely think uh, if you're on birth control or you're in reproductive years and you don't have iron excess, considering a prenatal, because you never know when nature will find a way. But in addition, you know, there's nutrients like, uh, you know, phytonutrients and biopterin. You're only going to get those from leafy greens. So this is why, you know, I say you can't out supplement a poor diet or lifestyle. Like if you don't eat vegetables, you can't just like take all the supplements. Yes, they'll help. They're meant to supplement what you're doing, mm. not to like take over uh, a crumb donut addiction. <laughs> I own that. Uh, um, that's the second time you brought up the crumb donuts. I know. <laughs> I'm, just, one <laughs> I'm just calling myself out. And like, uh, you know, so like nobody feels ashamed or like, because people, you know, they hear new information. And we have this tendency to be like, well, I must be bad because I did that before. And I'm like, well, you didn't know. Um, and like, just to know that like, I'm not perfect. I was you know, laughing with you guys that I went into the stump town in the airport today. And um, the barista, when I told her my name, she was like, you're that doctor from Instagram and you're on the book. And I was like, and this is why I don't lie about my coffee habit because like, and then like, I just, I just hate that. I just, I I hate when you like, are like that person's so cool on like Instagram. And then you like need them in real life. And you're just like, you smoke cigarettes and like you're what? <laughs> like I've had this yeah. cognitive dissonance moments like and it's just like wow, like that's a that's a trip. And I also just um I actually said it today on Instagram, like social media isn't for creating the life you want. That's what real life is about. So stop putting the highlight reel on there. It's okay to like be flawed, to make mistakes, and that's something that like you know, it's good to remind ourselves that like we were never perfect. Mm -hmm. And like just the things that I did where I'm like, I know whenever women are like, where were you when I was 16? I'm like, where was I when I was 16? (laughs) I was like, not sleeping, like just doing terrible things. I'm like, that's the reality. When you have kids though, you're like, oh my God, if I could tell my teenage self to sleep, that is like what I'd be saying right now. Oh, I I, I regret all the naps that I fought when I was a kid. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. No, my son stopped napping at like 18 months and I'm like, you're going to regret this one totally. day. Totally. You're gonna, I'm regretting yeah. it now. But yeah, no, I think about how I thought I was so cool. Cause I like, I can sleep four hours and like keep going. And, oh, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. And now I'm sleep, like, I'll sleep dead. when I'm dead. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Right. You think <laughs> that was my mantra. Well, just <laughs> your, your frontal lobe hasn't formed until like 25. So you just, you say dumb things. They come out of your mouth. I just think back to things where I think about when, before I had a kid and I would like tell new moms as my patients like you just need to sleep more I'm like someone go back and just slap me just slap me silly for that because that was just like who was I condescending Brayton like what is that you got condescending Wonka and I was just like "Mm, well we we appreciate everything that you do your Instagram is very authentic you're a very authentic person very very real Um, I don't want anyone to meet me in real life and be like mismatch mismatch no you're totally like you you present yourself the way you are um, and we think you're doing a a phenomenal job we always get a great reaction from our audience you're awesome thanks for coming on Mind Pump loves you oh I love you guys as well I know. I, was, I love doing this podcast. It's so much fun. I'm like, why don't we just... Well, yeah. and I didn't even know we were recording. And like, <laughs> You are always welcome to come down. Oh, yeah. We got to do more for sure. Yeah. For real, though? That's like the first time I said the F word in like, in a recording. And I'm so yes. Yes. Should we all say it together? Like, yeah. I just did that woman thing. Look at, like, I even contracted my body. I'm like, I'm starting to squeeze my legs in, my arms in, and make my voice super small. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so nervous. Well, thanks about for coming that. on. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, 
and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.